Crossings was recorded on the unceded sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. EWF pays our respects to Wurundjeri elders past and present and to the elders of all lands that this podcast reaches. You're listening to Crossings, the EWF in Conversation podcast. My name is Jess and I'm the program coordinator of the Emerging Writers Festival. Today, I'm excited to share this final conversation of crossings between Daniel Ward and Kurt Eckhart. Daniel Ward is a poet and musician. They are the editor and founder of No More Poetry. Their second and most recent collection is titled Eternal Delight Paralysis. They are a member of experimental collective Bodies of Divine, Infinite and Eternal Spirit and also perform in Wet Kiss. Kurt Eckhart works as the marketing and events manager at PBS in Nam and manages and performs in bands Hearts and Rockets and Astral Skulls. He runs DIY music and zine label and event collective Psychic Hysteria. Daniel and Kurt came together in October. They spoke about DIY culture, the local music and poetry scene, live performance and running their own label and publishing house. Daniel and Kurt's thoughtfulness and enthusiasm towards the local art scene was a perfect conversation to bring this season of Crossings to a close. I was really enjoying trying to navigate the breadth of what you are involved with. It seems vast. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you mind maybe briefing me, like give me the elevator pitch of what you do? First and foremost, I'm a poet, for sure. It's both that's the only answer and also I do a lot of other things. <laughs> <laughs> like the publishing press, No More Poetry, which I run with my friend Joshua Edward, like that's an extension of being a poet. I'm also in a few bands, which is also feels like, like an extension of being a poet. Mm. Uh, those bands being Wet Kiss and Bodies of Divine, Infinite and Eternal Spirit. Other than that, I do like a bunch of art writing, but that's just jobs, right? I'm much more than that job, any <laughs> job I am. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't start with like, well, I get up at nine and I go to my paid work. I almost like, yeah. <laughs> like you started with being I, a poet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be far too American to like to start with like, well, I'm in financing. <laughs> like, I can't start there, mm. which I'm not in financing. <laughs> Actually, you know what? We probably both are in financing in the sense that we run our own label or project that yeah. requires money to be alive. Yeah, that's the bit I struggle with the most. <laughs> Especially because it's so rarely my money that yeah. I'm dealing with. Yeah. So there's just that kind of, yeah, there's an extra layer of responsibility to it when you kind of, you know, if you're publishing someone's work or we do a lot, I run a record label that does a lot of DIY music releases and essentially we just act as like publicity and distro yeah. and kind of a, like a central point for artists to meet. You yeah. know, we don't kind of really take a cut. Yeah. We just take a little bit to pay for the website and stuff. Yeah. So it's also that thing where you're doing the finances, but like yeah. you're not kind of seeing this money rolling in. You're just taking it from one place and putting it into another. Totally, totally. <laughs> this piece of paper goes over here yeah. now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, you run the, the name of your label again? It's Psychic Hysteria. Very good. Yeah, and so it does lots of tapes and records and stuff, but we also yeah. do zines and photo books and things like that. Yeah. So... Um, and zine fairs is like one of our favorite things to do. Always like head along to Sticky cool. and try and kind of collect as much of what people in the kind of extended like collective family have put out or, mm. or scrambled together just for that day. Cool. And I kind of like that, I don't know, when there's a date, a firm date like that, the kind of stuff that people can turn around and how quickly they can do it. And oh, that's, that's often cool. when I see the best stuff come out as well. Lots of, lots of art and photo stuff rather than many yeah. words. I love that. I, we were just talking before about I love a short deadline. Mm. It's really good. When there's that like um, pressure, wonderful things happen. That's cool. Yeah. I can't say we've done, the, like our press has never done kind of things of a zany nature except for our like newspaper. Mm. At some points I, it's just immediately jumping into this, but at some points I wish it was like less neat what we do. It would be cool to do some things that are a bit looser. I, I, I liked scrolling through your uh, your website, and I also like this energy that you speak of, like the zine fair of like just quickly stapling something together is really up my alley. Yeah, well, uh, but it's funny because I look at what you do, and I'm like, oh, I should really take what we do <laughs> and like collect it more, you know, <laughs> professionally. I think there's so much room for both, uh -huh. and 
you know, I think of like when it's words, especially when it's poetry, you know, you might have a collection, but you might just have a whole lot of little bits and pieces and scenes yeah. can just be a really good way to collect things and kind of yes. put a pin in it and move on. Like, I don't know if you find that with your music as well, but Definitely. I love the, the artifact of releasing something because yeah. that's where that act is at that point of time. And it's kind of like you can leave that behind and move on to what you're doing next. Totally. And so if you've got an option of doing like a zine or something really quickly, yeah, you can just keep doing that. I love it. Otherwise, you know, that publishing, that idea of, you know, if you're putting out a vinyl release, it's different because you've yeah. got to plan that so far in advance. Whereas, yeah. like, is the zine fair on Saturday and I want something to sell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or give away. I have two months worth of grocery lists that need to be stapled together. There you go. And photocopied. Perfect. Yeah. yeah I think <laughs> I've got a folder of them somewhere if you'd like some more, actually. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Likewise. I like them, especially, you know, there's there's the kind of on the ground ones, but I like it when it's in the shopping basket, like you can kind of see a busy day and you know that it's not the one that was at the top, but it's someone's left it in the basket or the trolley. Really, really good. Yeah, they haven't dropped it. They've literally just discarded it. They're oh. like, I don't need you anymore. I yeah. have my tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that treatment <laughs> of uh, of words on a page. Mm. It's, it's good like uh, counter to like the pretensions of literature sometimes. Mm. It's like this book that is my grocery list is just discarded. Yeah. <laughs> I'm someone that also never takes my, I have a grocery list on my fridge, but I never take it with me. I always forget it. Oh. And so it's this kind of ever evolving, like I go home and I have to cross off what I did remember. Yeah, and yeah, then it yeah. gets too full and they make a new one. Like oh. I'm terrible at it. Interesting. So I wonder how many I've kind of replicated. Like yeah, yeah. Again. That's probably another podcast, though. <laughs> I was literally about to keep going into the grocery no, do list. It, there. Do okay. it. Yeah, I'm curious I, now. I carry it with me. It's literally this, and yeah. then but the page is removable. It's taken me a long time to find the right notepad that can be everything at once. Mm. Size, how I can carry it. Yeah, it's like poems are the, the, can be the same length as my grocery list. Like I've uh, kind of filtered it down to this particular size. It's like palm size, thick, easily pullable. I love it. Yeah. So do you, think do you kind of... Stationary a lot. I, love, I think about stationary far too often. Yeah. Do you, like with your poetry then, do you do a lot on the fly or do you kind of make time, like treat it a little bit like a little job that you have Yeah, to do? I do both. Mm. Always on the fly. That's, that's what I, the notebook's for, is like yeah. on the fly. Hence, it being palm size, and like you can put it somewhere, and like if something hits, you got to write it then or there. Mm. My memory's bad, so like if it doesn't get written out then and there, it's not happening. Yeah. But then a lot of my poetry is like based around like certain kind of rituals or tasks I'll set myself as well. So then they're really specific, like a recent collection of fifty poems, like I did based on these kind of walking meditations I would do. And I would go on a walk and whenever I'd notice like lavender jutting out of a fence and it was like the right piece of lavender because there's so much in Melbourne, I would pluck it and then like I would smell it there and I would write the poem then and there, finish it and then like keep going on my walk or whatever. So like sometimes it's like very specific and then other times it just comes along. That's amazing. Yeah. Are there any other prompts in nature that, that kind of are triggers for you to write? Funny enough, like... It's like sound, if we're going to talk about also like music, like sometimes I'll go out and collect like recordings of under bridges is good because it's really echoey and like or where there's a lot of birds or um, traffic sounds or like train sounds or whatever. Sometimes I'll like sit there for 10 minutes and then take that sound back home and then write to it. It's also something I like. You said nature and I brought up cars. So, well, I but mean, I mean, that's... it is. They're, they're like little animals yeah. like, <laughs> rolling around. Or we are. Do you actually use those recordings in like, for example, in your new album? Like, do they actually mm, show up or they're just no. used as kind of a rhythm or a... Yeah, mostly just for that. They mm. feel like they're too tied to it too. There have been points where later I've then put the poem back on that sound, mm -hmm. but not to the public uh, ear. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a lot like that? Like your notebooks might be, you know, where you've got a collection and it's just for you and it's sitting. Do you do that with recorded work as well? Uh, like with music or like yeah. recorded poetry? Oh, well, either. Kind of curious yeah. about where that distinction lies for you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my band Bodies is like mostly been improvised music for a long time. So it's like the recordings themselves would be the artifact or whatever. Mm. Exactly like what you were saying before of like, and it was it, because of like this exact interest that like it marks time. It's like, okay, that's done, move on now. Yeah. And then you can like do something else. 
I can't say I'm the kind of musician to like sit in the studio and work on stuff. It's like the studio is just like holding an acoustic guitar or something and just like, I, I don't record it a lot. Mm. It's not something I labor over. The recording process for me, I don't actually, I'm not huge on actually. I kind of like to just get in and out. Yeah. like have a room for three days or whatever and like do it. And then like, I don't even like post-production, you know, like mm. I, I like to get in and absolutely out. It's good having a band and people involved that are like more interested in that kind of stuff. So what did you do with bodies? Did you, because if it's like mostly an improvised, yeah. what I'm always curious about with people and like I've worked on solo projects of my own before is like knowing when it's finished is really difficult sometimes. <laughs> especially if it's kind of coming from that improvised approach. Like how do you know when something's ready? How did you make an album yeah, when yeah, that's yeah. kind of your process typically? Yeah. Well, we made the album, it was very precarious because we thought we would um, be improvising the whole thing in a very specific way. Like we went away for like three or four days and recorded in a room uh, or like on a, on a farm and it was the whole thing was run by solar power. Then we didn't realize that until we got there. And the, but the whole plan was to like sit in a big circle and like play music at each other for like three days and just like totally get very loose and like improvise a lot of it and then kind of cut it up mm. or revisit some ideas on the last day and like try it. But when we got there, because it was run by solar power and we didn't know that, you could only have one power outlet in at one, like any one moment. And there was even like a sign that was like, if you want to use the toaster, like turn the microwave off or whatever. <laughs> And so it totally changed the whole like idea of recording the record. We had some like poems, some loose melodies of like some ideas that maybe we would want to like go, and we ended up having to write it one instrument at a time and improvise that way. So like, I kind of know what the rhythm might be, and so Ruby would like jump up and do the drums, and then someone might jump on bass or whatever. And and it was kind of we've never done, we've never improvised like that, where it's like this layered thing. It was, it was a total anom anomaly, the record, really, is to how we normally work. Usually we get in a room and like we just play for too long on something, you know? <laughs> like very jazz style. We'll be like there for like 10 minutes on the same idea. I mean, which I love. So I suppose that kind of that limitation allowed you to do a more of an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Like I just like did inverted commas for yes. people yeah, yeah. that can't see me. <laughs> oh, yes, they can't be <laughs> yes. seen. But you know, that I, those kind <laughs> of, you know, you kind of deal with what you've got. Yeah, and whatever happens happens, and you have to let it go. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That's yeah. why I like the impermanence of zines and punk and whatever. Like I like that Absolutely. sometimes things just are there for a flash and then they're gone. Yeah. and it sounds like you captured something really amazing in that time because the album's incredible. Oh, thank you. And it's been so well received. Congratulations. I, yeah, it's nice to it's nice to let let go of it and it mm. just be out in the world and float around. It's cool. Thank you. Yeah, I wonder did starting the record label did that begin because you just wanted to release your own music. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think it's such a common How, story. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, yeah, the solo project I mentioned that I was thinking of when I was talking about it before called Astral Skulls. Mm -hmm. And I just had, had a whole bunch of stuff I just put on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. And then I was like, oh, I want to put a seven inch out. Mm. The record label was originally, actually, I won't go too much into this. It's Please do. A bit of a step back in time. I used <laughs> to live in Sydney and I did a, radio show and a community radio station they called 2SER that was like all unsigned acts so I was literally ripping songs off people's MySpace pages and playing them and stuff like it just had to be either unsigned or I'd go and tape kind of tape decks to the back of warehouses with gaffer tape and play live recordings of bands I wish I had a lot of it still actually because oh, a lot wonderful. of them don't exist anymore but it was just that real DIY like as a bass mm. route and I used to get sent some of the most incredible music that of no course. one has ever heard otherwise it was literally just someone's bedroom stuff oh wow and someone had sent me probably five or six just cds and one tape but mostly cds just full of these songs of just them in their bedroom and it really moved me like it really connected with me and so i actually originally started psychic hysteria to release that release mm -hmm. i thought some the world has to hear this i'd had the name and i kind of drew a logo and i was like I'll do something with this one day. I kind mm -hmm. of always wanted to start on it. And that one really connected with me. I kind of got it all ready to go. We were just going to do, I think we we're just doing CDRs of it. It was very 2008 Great. or whenever it was. And the oh, person, yeah, the person just wow. decided that they didn't want anyone to ever hear it again. I think just being presented with the fact that it was going to be heard by so many people, not so many people, but you know, like yeah, yeah, by yeah. more people than just me. Yeah freaks them out and they kind of had a bit of a crisis and yeah. decided that, that they never wanted anyone to hear it again. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just put the whole thing on hold. 
I've met that person again, like kind of 10 years later and they were still in that same headspace. They'd stopped playing music really? since like in between, which is a bit sad because they were an absolute genius. So it was kind of this weird thing for me where I had, in my head, I'd started a record label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no one had ever known about it. Oh, I love that. And so when I had this kind of solo release and I wanted to put a seven inch out, I thought I'll just rehash that so that when I'm kind of sending it out to radio or whatever, it wasn't me selling myself. Mm-hmm. Like it was me being able to kind of have this buffer and write from a label, even though it was all just me. Yeah, I love that. And so that's kind of how it started. Mm-hmm. And a couple of months after that, seven inch came out of Workmate in a band called Plaster of Paris, was in the same boat. They had a recording and they didn't know what, what to do with it. They weren't kind of feeling like they were popular enough to approach a bigger label. Mm. They're like, can we just put your logo on it? Just so it's got some kind of connection to something in yeah. Melbourne. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe I can share these resources. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, kind yeah. of what it was. It was like all these little bands that would come and see each other play in those small rooms around Melbourne. Basically, if you were at our shows and you played music, you could do something with the label. Like yeah, that's cool. how it started. And it's been really nice to kind of do that. But it's still always been a little bit of a started off with me just being a bit self indulgent. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's become a bit it, more collective. I mean, it feels like, I mean, I know you're joking when you say self indulgent because it's like, it, it does feel like the natural kind of way of things to end at that point when you're like interested in your own like music or writing or whatever. It's like, oh, okay, how do I put this somewhere? How do I share it? And I guess that's like very, um, it's very particular to like our time. Mm. You know, in the last few decades, where music sharing is so easy, actually. In fact, it's like saturated. Like it's nothing like when records were first being produced. You know, mm. and and that being the only way to listen to them or through the radio. You realize that, you, like, kind of early on in. I mean, I I kind of realized like in, in writing, and similar to like I guess you with your music that oh, it's actually really easy to just share it, put it out there in some particular way. Mm. Or, or more so that like there's not a lot to a label other than just doing that. Yeah, you just pivot. Like it's you know. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what does a publisher even do? Oh, they just put the poems that someone's done, and then they just go on a book, and then it's a book now. It is. It's not much more complicated than yeah. that, really. In, in essence, is it? it gets of, more complicated it though, does. right? It just and then you're like, oh wait, I work with people. I work with a lot of people. Mm. I'm you know, and it becomes way bigger. But at the beginning, I feel like it started. Yeah, sim- I, like I can relate to that. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. I think it's a similar. Yeah, I can imagine it being really similar. And it's also that idea of like, I don't know what it kind of becomes is a little bit of admin and a little bit of expectation management. Yeah, as well, and yes. kind of people that are very excited about what they're doing, being able to share your experiences so that they understand that there are a few things that may happen, and being able to kind of describe what those might be and how to prepare for them. And yeah. Like, some will be successful in some ways and some in other ways, and that you know your measure of success is kind of can be reevaluated as well. Like in this idea, I think with music, and I'm sure it's the same with kind of publishing, that like you've gotten some amazing feature album kind of responses with your album, which I love seeing when people at Triple Z, for example, connect mm-hmm. with something that seems so local to yeah. me. Yeah, But like that's one measure of success. And to me, being that when I put that first release out, to have something like that would be it that would be the top yep. or like being played on rage like i've had a few videos on rage it's yep. like that is my literal childhood dream yeah yeah so like your kind of measures of success change over time when you reach those goals you think okay well what's next and yeah. i like to try and let people know that that doesn't have to be the way you can just be really happy with that success and if anything else comes Hugely. then celebrate it yeah. but if not like don't forget that having someone like you publish your work yeah and having you know someone respond or play it on a radio show or read it or have it in their shop or something is like enough. Huge, yeah. yeah, very much so. I think I have to remind myself that, like, like remind myself of that a lot too. And definitely the people we work with, because that's why you're doing it. I mean, you can get so easily caught up in like marketing, like music, for example, mm-hmm. and then you're like. I don't know, you catch yourself thinking like, wait, hold on, am I doing this to like ascend somewhere? Like where am I? I'm not ascending anywhere. Like I, what I want is like people to hear my music and if they do, they do. But I'm already done my job and there it is and then you just can get very like disillusioning thinking about like, or having expectations like you say about like where things might go or who might hear them. Rage is cool though. Oh, still, I, uh, I tell I, people at every opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> it's like literally my favorite thing yeah. I've ever done. I think a few of our, our videos got knocked back from Rage. And that's, you know, that's, yeah, the, that's the pendulum, that's the way it swings. 
I was seriously watching that um, come out because I could listen to it and I'd really enjoyed it. And I just loved seeing it connect with, with people, as I said. It's really nice to see. You must feel super proud. Yeah, I feel good about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice. Because it's not like, it's not weird, but it's not like pop music. But it is pop music. Yeah. It's a lot of those things. It's kind of, it's a lot of things at once and it can either, it can go both ways when people don't know how to approach a piece of art. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what I was happy with is people like got the specialness of it. Yeah. I don't know, don't know if I'm making sense, but. I, I think that's like, is all testament to like working with Jordan from Dinosaur City. Mm. And that really like sings the value of a, a label, I think, mm. because... I guess um, like a lot of like a label is like knowing people and like knowing where to send it. Mm. I would have had no idea like where to send, like even just to radio stations. I would have just, if I did that myself, which I was tempted to do because I'm tempted to, like in the same way I started my poetry press, I was like, okay, if uh, if I send this around any more times, like uh, I'm just going to do it myself and just yeah. like put the money together and like put a record out. Yeah, It would have gone kind of nowhere, I think, I think. I don't know. Someone who, some, when someone like believes in your work and like is like, okay, let me uh, send it to these people that I know. Yeah, because I know music industry or whatever. Or let me like uh, chat to these people about playing a show with you or blah blah blah. Like it, it, it really like. It's weird that it's it cool. kind of validates yeah. what you're doing, but you don't need someone to validate what you're doing. But no, kind of sometimes the rest of the industry does. They need no. That's to exactly go, it. Like Jordan, I trust completely. She's yeah. one of my favorite people yeah. in the whole music industry. I've only met her in person once, but we've been in touch since and I've just loved everything that they've worked on. It's yeah. always yeah. Been, I can always see why. Yeah. You know, sometimes you see labels and you're like, why is why are you working on that? Even a if it's a different label. genre is not the point. It's like, oh, this all makes sense. Yeah. Even though it's very different to each other. Yeah. And it's kind of this really well curated label. And I think that she has that trust that when she contacts press, because I've been on the other side of her emails as someone who was doing a radio show playing only local music until recently. I did like three years doing a show. I'd get emails from her all the time and always make sure I spent the time listening to it because I trusted her curation, you know. Yeah. So it's great that you've ended up with someone that that has that reputation. Yeah. And that's so lovely as well. There's all this stuff about the music industry that you have no idea of by just being, by the nature of being a musician. Mm. And you don't want to like that's the yeah. only so the one thing I the <laughs> kind main of. yeah the main thing I yeah. struggle with with running a label and being a performing artist and a writer and recording my own music and all of that stuff is I don't actually leave myself enough time to be creative because of mm. all the other stuff mm-hmm. like you mentioned social media like that is so soul destroying sometimes oh yeah and also it kind of feels like then some of those opportunities and uh, kind of achievements that you have almost become a transaction because you know that you have to share that it happened or did it really happen? Oh, I don't and know if that particular feeling has been named until just then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, oh, well, Ooh. if you did this, I better tell everyone that you did it or maybe you won't do it again or are you sitting there watching and making sure I thank you? And like, I think that the, I don't mean that it's like manipulative, mm-hmm. It's just a lot of pressure to continuously stay on top of everything and share it and yeah. be this kind of marketing machine. Yeah. When really you just want to kind of make your silly songs and someone else to listen to them. Exactly. Yeah. So I find that really hard. And do you find that with your publishing? Like, do you find that the admin of the business takes over from your creative output? I'm lucky enough that I work with someone else and they are very good with that kind of side of things. I feel like I can sometimes be out of reality and just think like, well, it doesn't matter about the money. Like, uh, we don't do it for the money. Blah blah blah. And Josh kind of brings me back to reality. He's like, but we need money to like print books, yeah. you know. And I'm like, ah, yes, that's right. <laughs> the flow of money like has to come in as well. Mm. I do feel weird about it, it, like exactly what you said. Like, kind of marking like a, a what is a celebration, feeling like that's marketing. That's what makes me feel weird, and that's what makes me feel weird, particularly about social media of like. This new book from a very good friend of mine is out. It's not like that. It feels like I'm being like, please buy this so we can stay alive. Yeah. Or something. I don't, I get this weird guilt with even like being someone who sells something. I don't know if you feel that. But Absolutely. Like, it's just like, yeah, I'm engaging in like capitalism like actively. And, it, you know, it's like, I'm, we're just barely 
like money wise, we're just barely scraping by. That's only what we ever do. Like I, Josh and I don't pay ourselves. Like we just do it yeah. and just scrape by, and because we really just want to keep putting out books. But still, that guilt is there of like engaging. Is it? I don't know where that comes from. Do you feel that? Absolutely. What is that? Is it just us? No, I don't think it's just us. <laughs> no. Like I think there are people that aren't like us that don't see it like that. I think it's also that weird thing where, I mean, being an artist is so unsustainable financially and it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be what you do for money. Yeah. And that's fine too, like, yeah. of course. But I don't think it's like uniquely Australian, but I mm-hmm. think it's prevalent here. This mm-hmm. idea of like, oh, that's just like a hobby. Mm-hmm. And you don't kind of big up yourself or something. Mm-hmm. There's some weirdness around it. Hugely, yeah. I think that's why I like the label and doing it for other people. Like what you used as an example is true. It's easier to say my friend made something beautiful and I want you to hear it yeah. than it is to say I made something beautiful and I want you to hear it. Like yeah. It's just Huge. easier to be like, this person is special and deserves attention and we're providing a platform for that to happen. Yes, it feels a bit less self-serving, even though we should be able to do that about our own art as yeah. much as we can. Because if we didn't believe in it, we wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I think it's given me a little bit more. It's allowed me to be more openly proud about what I do as well. Yeah. I think by sharing that space with people I respect, and I think feel the same way about what I do. Like yeah. it's almost, and that's what I mean. I keep using the word collective, even yeah. though a lot of the work comes to me. It's very much like we don't do anything on our own. There's always some of the other artists around. Like if we do an event or yeah, right, helping drop records into shops or you yeah. know, like it's a shared thing. Yeah, but I still always feel like I'm selling something. Yeah, but that yeah. sharedness like justifies it all. It all justifies itself. In the yeah, end. at the end of the day, all we're kind of we're both in the kind of work of like just like kind of talking to people, whether it's through music or like writing. Because mm. you host Networks, events, you know. No, yeah, host events. Yeah. Well, and that's what. Oh, sorry, you just yeah. kind of. That's why I didn't mean to cut you off then, because you kind of said what I was going to ask you about. Because yeah. it feels like there is a community around what you do. Like, yeah. Even I haven't been to any of your events, but I've seen photos of some of them, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people there, and they're very engaged. Yes, they are. And yeah. um, so, like, how how did you develop that? Like, how did is that something that you kind of wanted to create or is that something that's kind of organically happened just by what you do? I think I definitely saw, I mean, I definitely saw an opportunity to start a press because I had so, like, you know, when I arrived to Melbourne, like maybe 10 years ago, I guess, I got caught up in like some very small kind of poetry scenes and they were mostly like zine making and stuff. But of course, everyone was working on their like manuscript or whatever, and like had a book in in the works. But like the only real kind of places that were publishing books here are generally kind of attached to like an academic institution like RMIT or um, Monash or something. And I guess a lot of those poet friends were kind of in that; they were studying writing, and that was potentially their trajectory. But then a lot of other friends were like not in that, and they were still like working on on work. And we we're always like sharing works at like small readings, backyards, and stuff. So I guess I kind of felt a, this energy of like, okay, this could be potentially a thing. If I just put out my book, like maybe a f- few people will buy it or whatever. And then we just got inundated with like books yeah, from people <laughs> wanting to put out their stuff. And also friends that I'd known have been working on their books, I reached out to them all. And they're still trickling in from like that initial kind of ask of friends. So it was more so like I, I kind of felt this like energy. And then as far as like hosting the events, it's so nice to be able to give like poetry like a celebration or something because it is often like this quite private act for a lot of people like, reading. Poetry has always felt like, very connected to music to me, and so like the performance of it is like very important to me. Like I, I feel like I've grown as like a poet as far as like performing my own poetry just because we started doing this, mm. which is a huge benefit to myself. Mm. Speaking selfishly, it's like uh, yeah. It's good practice, but yeah, I think it's just kind of grew. It's grown, but it, every every new poet you work with is a new network of like people who just want to like try out poetry for the first time. Mm. You know, like we get a lot of people who come to their first poetry reading is like at our events for sure, mm. which is cool. I'm glad some of them come back. <laughs> <laughs> and like, is it something that you found people that come along to the events are kind of inspired to start writing themselves or I think performing that, themselves? I feel like everyone's already writing. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's just like. Maybe sometimes we might offer some permission that like anything could be poetry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like someone comes along and, and hears someone read like the stupidest thing you've ever heard like in a mic and they're like, oh, 
I write that in my diary all the time. I, you know, I write similar things or I, I haven't thought of poetry being like that or words being shared like that. Performing it really gives you way more like kind of license to play on things too, I think. Mm. And it really changes poetry, like how it is. Do you feel like if there's something that you've read and then seen performed or written and then performed, like does it change? If I'm reading a poet and they're alive, I make uh, like an effort to try and find things on YouTube of them reading it. Mm. Sometimes even before reading the book. Because I, I think it really helps you. I think it's a really like good tool. Um, once you know someone's voice, because at the end of the day, like poetry is very conversational. Oh, poetry came from conversation, you know. So it's all housed in that. And sure, there's like these formal rules sometimes, but like it, it's all housed in like you know, iambic pentameter is like the length of you know the most common poetic like length of a line is like the length of a line because it's the length of like our breath. Mm. All of Shakespeare's written in, you know. And so it's like very attached to like how it's said. I think from a poet's point of view, I feel like it's like. I'm reading it in my voice. I've got this incredible bias that I've got my voice reading it. It's like everyone else should kind of have that. So I've, I've, I, I usually try and hear the poet mm. and then read their work. I think is really helpful. Yeah, because it's not just the kind of cadence and rhythm. It's the literal voice, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, the that speed and like the energy of it. And yeah, it's not like written music where it kind of gives you hints. In English, yes. Yeah. In English, yeah. yeah. In more like formal styles, like there are like there are languages in the music of it and like the meter of it and stuff. I'm reading this book on Arab poetics at the moment and like there's a really like long history of like a very formal structure of like how in many ways like that's how like the Arabic language like developed post-Islam is through these like particular punctuations on letters and stuff and like lengthening the sounds of like certain vowels um, and consonants and stuff. And that's embedded in the language itself and that really came from like poetry and like a lot of like religious writing. Wow. Not that I can read written music anyway, but no, neither. Know, I know it exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. We're on that same level. When then did you realize that you didn't need that or something? Like, how did how did music like enter your life? I think I just I was really lucky that when I was kind of twelve, I got became really obsessed with kind of guitar music, and my parents obviously figured out that that was a thing that mm. I could develop and bought you know help me buy a guitar and stuff and. I think I always had that attitude. It was like the grunge era. Mm -hmm. It was very much like just pick it up and play. You know, I was yeah. a white suburban middle class kid. It was easy for me. I yeah, understand yeah, yeah. that not everyone had that opportunity as yeah. well. But for me, that it, I saw myself on TV. It was easy for me to try. And, my name's Kurt. Yeah. Like people used to think it was a nickname because I liked Nirvana so much. Yeah. Like I was that kid. Amazing. And so I kind of, I just always thought that whatever I did was good enough. Yeah. And then later in life, I learned that lesson pretty dramatically that that wasn't always the case. And then I had to relearn that that is true, that whatever yes. I do is kind of enough. Yeah. And so I think I kind of got a bit disillusioned and I stopped playing and because I was like, oh, I can't operate in that world because I'm not X, Y, Z mm. because I didn't know how to play an instrument properly or whatever. Mm. And then I think in my 20s in Sydney, I seeing a lot of the underground music happening there. It's like you said, like people that go along to your events and think, oh, you can just do that. Like that's enough mm -hmm. you, and mm -hmm. you don't need a band. Yeah. And if you do have a band, there doesn't need to be guitar, bass and drums. Or, yeah. Like I think probably in mid-20s, I realized that. And then I was still a bit slow to get around to doing it again. Mm. I kind of formed a couple of quick bands that were really fun and had the best time, but I never, I still never quite gave it the value that it deserved, I think. Mm -hmm. Kind of, re not regret, but thankfully we put a couple of like, DIY releases out and there's a document of that like I said before like I really liked that that time has been captured but it wasn't probably till my so I'm in my early 40s now yeah maybe 36, 37 where I was like oh what I'm doing is good enough without yeah. that Yeah. and I think getting involved in like learning synthesized music yeah. helped me because that was something that's so like it can be easy or yep. it can be as complicated as you want it to be right like you can go that's as a, deep as you want absolutely but you can also just like loop something and have the best time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think kind of jumping between those two things is is where I find myself with music. Yeah. And I really that really helped me explore sounds and stuff on my own in a way that I kind of felt like I was constantly evolving. Yeah. So I reckon that kind of electronic music helped. Yeah, I mean synthesizers are as mechanical as they are, they are kind of one of the most embodied instruments in that like you're constantly like 
wielding the its power with a little <laughs> knob, you know, and and like and it, just one little tweak or one little movement and one one little shift. I mean, that's why I like it. Mm. So, or you know, I don't know. Is much of your music improvised, or do you feel like uh, it is? I don't release my improvised stuff, yeah. but I I've recorded hours of me. I doing bet you that. have vaults. <laughs> yeah, and I've lost a lot of it. I lost a hard no. drive, and I was happy with it. Oh I was yeah, like I don't know, like so, happy with the hard drive going. Or ha- yeah, <gasps> I lost an album Beautiful. on there. I was sad about losing that. I yeah. just finished recording a new album that I've never replicated. Oh gosh, um, but I, on that same hard drive, I had a whole lot of just. Like what you said, when you said that, I kind of pictured, you know, like the Ghostbusters like yeah. stream where exactly. they're trying to keep the ghost. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as you go past a point, there's no return. Yes. I love that. That's I love losing it sometimes. Yep. Just thinking, okay, this is where I'm going now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got, I did have, and still have some like chunks of, you know, four or five hour sessions of me just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. With headphones on late at night. You can get to that point where you're like, I don't even know how to go back if I want to yeah, exactly. go back to whatever was before. Yeah, and no matter how much I think I understand the instrument, that, that will still happen. Yeah. And I love that. That's cool. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be recorded. I just did no. for a while because I found like it was good to listen back. and. But like that's the power of music as well, of you in that exact moment. with It's so meditative. Mm. And it's like, as you were saying before, like having expectations of like where your music goes in the world or like how it can be shared with people. It's like, without any of that, we still have these experiences. The power of music or poetry for that matter of being just the thing it is just for you. Mm. So do you, when you're performing your body stuff now, are you still improvising a lot of that on stage or are you trying to kind of do the album at the moment? I'm trying to do the album, which Mm. is like... Well, it's been fun because Dinosaur City did this like tour with Half Strange, and so we played in Broken Hill and White Cliffs and stuff. And there we were, it felt only fitting to just play the record because it was as it was coming out and stuff. And then doing our Melbourne show, and it was the same thing. We were like, okay, let's play the record. It feels very strange for me. Mm. This is the first time we've ever played the same song again in the same way. Kind yeah, of. and it's loose. It's always loose. It's very loose in a jazz sense that like people know what they're doing, but you kind of put these little like surprises in for each other anyway to keep things interesting. But it's recently it's been playing songs, yeah, in the way that they've been written. It's been an interesting kind of um, exploration recently, but it does feel weird. It can feel cagey for me. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get. I, I wondered that. <laughs> it's it's more so like the that exact feeling you're saying, where you like you push like that laser beam just like to the point where it's like, okay, we can't come back. I think that's why I like to play music and I like to like push for that feeling. Hmm. And um, I find it harder to access that feeling when I play a song that I know the movements for. Because I think it's really important for a musician to like be with the audience as much as they can. And sometimes I feel further away from the audience when I'm like just going through the movements Mm -hmm. rather than being just as vulnerable as they are. I like being, do you know? know, like Yeah, and responding, you can... Feel the someone can be standing perfectly still watching you, and you can still feel the engagement and yeah. in which ways they're engaging and how your music yeah. is making them feel, and you can respond to that. And yeah, yeah, I was yeah I was wondering about that because how many people are in your live band? It's fluctuating between like four or five at the moment, but I think we're playing on the weekend, and I think maybe maybe six people. Some people come up just for a song, play sax, and then yeah, go nice. sit down. Yeah. And what about Wet Kiss? Yes. How many are playing in Wet Kiss? It's the four of us, and we just started working with a new guitarist last night, actually, which is cool. Cool. For some shows also on the weekend. Okay, I'm going to take my comment back about synthesizer being the most embodied instrument (laughs) and um, place it on drums. Uh Do you you play drums? Yeah, that was kind of the when I was saying in my 20s, getting back into playing music, I was playing drums the most. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah. (laughs) And that's something you can lose yourself in as long as you like. Can keep the stamina up. The stamina and like on. not getting lost in your head. Yeah. I've found because I'm quite new to drumming. Mm-hmm. Like I started drumming in Wetkiss because our drummer left the band. I mean, he works with me on body stuff anyway. It's like it's not like he dramatically left the band; <laughs> just had other things to do. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I guess I could try and pick up drums. I'm just like surprised at how like the second you're in your head, you lose time. You're just out. Yeah, like you can totally be out. It's funny that you lose time, but you're the yeah, I, yeah. Just, you know, like the rhythm section, the Literally. timekeeper, but you are losing time. Just lost. Yeah, it's so much fun. And it's so yeah. obnoxious when it wants to be as well. I kind of <laughs> like the audacity of drums. Totally. 
Like there's not, you know, it's pretty rare that the neighbors complain about the guitar, you know, it's usually the drums. Absolutely. Mm. It's always the drums. <laughs> but you sit behind the seat with a stick in your hand and you're just like, oh, I just could hit this so hard. I can hit this so hard if I want to. I have so much power right now. <laughs> I love watching a band when things like that point we're talking about where things start falling apart and people start yeah. looking at the drummer because yeah. it's either because they're the ones that know what should be coming next or yeah. they're the ones that fucked it up. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's totally. Like usually one or the other. I love that moment where everyone's like, all right, what are we doing? Yeah. Got to look at the drama. <laughs> Not all the time, but I like seeing that happen, especially in kind of more like traditional rock band setups. Yeah. I'm so scared of doing that that I think that's why I'm interested in improv music. Like, <laughs> that like, I'm always don't know what I'm doing. Like, I always don't know until it's happening. So yeah. it's okay. There's no mistakes. <laughs> yeah. I do really like that. I'm yeah. glad you're playing drums. There needs to be more drummers, and it because because people need to experience that joy. Oh, such joy! Mm. In fact, that's how I practiced was with synthesizers, and I just kind of roll it on like some arpeggiated thing, mm -hmm. and just play for hours on like one kind of thing going, doo -doo 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 -doo, and then just drumming. That's for that. a great idea because I taught myself how to play drums by listening to The Cure, the Standing on a Beach like compilation because I love those first few tracks, 10, 15 on a Saturday night. Yeah. And I just play it real loud and play along to it as a teenager. But then I just started playing drums like that. And that's okay. Mm, but like I was yes. very much like this rarely symbols in my drumming still. There's lots of Tom and snare. Right. And it's I'm like, that was just me ripping someone off, which yeah, is yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like your idea of rehearsing then, not just kind of replicating what you're hearing, but just being given a rhythm to kind of follow. It's uh -huh. a really good idea. I'm gonna do that. Thank it, you. It oh yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> so what about writing wise? What are, what are you working on? Like, do you work on something like with your poetry? Do you mm. kind of work toward a collection? At, are you trying to get yeah. something together? What kind are you of. doing? I've kind of got like a few plates spinning. Mm. That lavender, those lavender poems I was telling you about, that's part of like a series of like three different kind of 50-day things that I've done. I've done two of them. And I'm kind of at this point of like trying to work out what the last one is, but I don't know. Mm. So those three sets of 50 will be in one yeah, collection. Yeah, all kind of around this idea of lavender, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I may work with some friends uh, on publishing a new uh, book of mine. I did a response to a poet I like, Bernadette Mayer, wrote this book called Midwinter Day in the 70s, which is on like the winter solstice, which is just around Christmas time. And um, she wrote the whole book in one day from when she wakes up from like dreaming and then when she, got to, when she goes to sleep. And um, I love the book so much and it's kind of, it has this kind of cult following in like poetry communities because of this. And a lot of people kind of, instead of Christmas, they'll like read the book, mm -hmm. like have like these kind of reading get togethers and like everyone reads the whole books like and take turns or whatever. I love her and I love her writing and I love that book. And I tried to do the same thing on Midsummer when I was uh, living in Berlin recently. And I, I did a whole book in a day so I'm kind of at the stage of trying to work out whether any editing needs to happen with that or whether I leave it in this just raw kind of state. Mm. That's what, kind of what I'm working on at the moment with my own writing. But to be honest with you, it's mostly other people's writing I'm working with at the moment, which is kind of good for me. Those two things feel like they're kind of just in a holding kind of pattern or something. Mm. I was thinking as well about, because I don't, like when I, you know, when I say I publish scenes or release mm. scenes or distribute scenes, like really it is, almost always me with a stapler and a, you know, yeah. exacto knife. Yeah. I'm curious about the actual practical experience of releasing a book the yeah. way that you do. Like, do you have somewhere, a printer in Melbourne that you use or is there somewhere, somewhere like someone somewhere else that you use? Like, how do you actually make yeah. a book? Sometimes, well, we've done different things. We worked with one printer for a long time on the first few books we did and that was great because we could order the exact paper we wanted from wherever we wanted and we just had a good relationship and it worked out well. I think we both felt a little disconnected from that actual process though and, and recently we've been printing some ourselves yeah, and, right. and like putting them together ourselves and like looking at different kind of binding methods and stuff which has been fun. Mm. It depends what we do. There's always, we do, we do this kind of, the newspaper is maybe the closest like thing to a zine that we do. And really that's a lot of like Josh designing things in interesting ways and trying to work out. The challenge of our newspaper that we set ourselves is it has to go in an envelope that can be stamped 
like the cheapest way to send it. Mm. It's kind of like the condition. So that always keeps things interesting. Like we print it on receipt paper for one issue or like we print it on, uh, you know, particular sizes and folding it in particular ways yeah. to kind of fit it. To be honest with you, I, I the tactile is I'm, I'm really into of like actually touching the books and like working with them. You feel way more like attached to them. Yeah. What do you feel like the motivation is to do it yourself in that, like particularly for the publishing stuff, like mm. the book stuff? I think it's the same as, I think what you said, like I think just having that tactile connection to it makes it feel special. Yeah. If you're doing short runs of things, it's cheaper. Yep. And uh, you don't have to have 200 books under your bed, for yeah. example, like with yeah. records, you know, if you want to do a vinyl release, you got to make sure you can sell them. Or I've just got shelves of vinyl and totally. tapes at my house and it's not just a bit of a hassle and a uh, cost, but it's also an environmental cost that I yeah. try and consider. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to take that risk with things. Yeah, but I totally. think the idea of kind of not making to order, but kind of thinking, well, I've got, you know, 30 pre-orders, I can make 40. Yeah. And then I can make another 20 when I need to. And yeah. that kind of is a massive benefit Yeah, when we're doing like short runs of things. And I kind of like that sometimes they're a bit different. Yeah, it's just a whole nother, <laughs> it's another band. art form. Yeah, definitely. One There's of, a neatness to it that I could never achieve. I yeah. think that's also something that I... These, I, I don't know, sometimes these books demand a certain level of neatness or people kind of want a particular level of neatness that is not my natural form. <laughs> but it is Josh's and like they're a designer and they yeah. do all of our design and um, I do all of our editing and curate most of the poetry, you know. So like there's this cool balance where I get to kind of like, it would look a lot rougher if it was just me. Yeah. But it's, it's nice to work with other people that have different visions of things and like as much as selling things is absolutely not why we do it if we can sell the books that we make and we're able to like put out an extra book next year or whatever like mm. th that's cool so when they do sell well it's great and i think they sell well because they look really nice and that's all because of josh yeah yeah it sounds like the perfect team it's it works happen. out well yeah it's you a know, good I, balance i think it's i think it's another lesson that i learned actually is that you don't have to be good at everything mm -hmm. and i think that's really hard to remember when you're like super DIY, mm -hmm. like I believe you to be, and mm -hmm. I certainly am, where it's like I can't do every little thing. Yeah. Because and if I, I can, like I have the capability to learn, and I'll like be stubborn and teach myself. Yeah. But sometimes it's good to be able to let things go, and like yeah. you've got Josh to say, "Here are the words." Yeah. You make it look good. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a really valuable thing to be able to do is to yep. like give that, to trust someone enough to give that control over. Totally. And I'm not a control freak. I'm just someone that just, ah, oh, I'll just do it. Yes. <laughs> and I, it took me a while to realize that I didn't have to just do it. I can relate with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you realize that like actually collaborating is like uh, mm. kind of the joy of it also. Absolutely. Having other people's like input and take and hands is, is really good. I want to pick up on what you were saying before about performing music in relation to when we were talking about before about like hearing the poet's voice and as opposed to like reading the work of, 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 of a poet. I think you could compare that to like, for example, like if you saw a like Velvet Underground song, for example, like on paper, you would be like, this is so simple and whatever, this could be anything. And then you hear it and oh, it's all the energy actually. Mm. That's how this is performed that really kind of makes it, right? I think poetry is, uh, that's how I'm going to compare them, I think. It's a really good analogy. I think Velvet Underground has made that really easy for me to make that connection. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's a perfect like, example. Very simple songwriting, mm, basically like two chords, but can sound like that. Yeah, and it's something about the people. It yeah. didn't have to be those people, but because it was, we're talking about them now. Exactly. And I guess that's kind of like, when you were talking earlier about having this period where you kind of like doubted your music or whether like your capabilities as a musician, right? And that happens all the time. Mm. Particularly when you were working on like something that you're about to put out that's the most like horrifying thing in the world. And you just doubt <laughs> constantly. Yeah. But the thing that you have is only your specificity, like only your particular you thing that you do and sound like and that no one else has. It's so like you've got to ground in that thought. It's all it's like it's all personality. Like that's what it is. Mm. You sound like your personality, I think. I don't think I've ever thought about people's music as being their personality, but I think that's yeah. a really nice way to frame it. Yeah. Rather than like their talent or their ability or their skill or yeah. their influence. Yeah, it's their, their personal taste. Mm. It's their style. 
And like whether you're like, you can be a character in a band, but it's still like, it's coming from this place of you're styling that character, you know? Yeah, I think that also really makes that distinction for me of when there's a band that's, you know, maybe attempting to replicate something that's popular, Mm -hmm. which I don't look down upon, like there's space for everything. Mm -hmm. They can do whatever they want, but like that kind of, you know, I don't want to listen to it, but like, (laughs) like that, you know, that seeing that kind of personality exist and then trying to duplicate it. Yeah. And it's like so obvious when it yeah. when it's not true. Yeah. And like often they're the bands that kind of connect commercially and it's quite frustrating. Yeah. But it's all, that's what I mean by it. That can just be its own thing and I don't mind because I don't want to operate like that. Yeah. But I think that that kind of personality aspect really speaks to that as well. I guess that's kind of what I meant about your release as well, that it's it's unique. It's like in that way, mm-hmm. I can't put my finger on mm-hmm. why that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just that it's, it's, and I mean, it's really nice to meet you now. It's, you said like listening to the poet read the poem. Yeah. It's oh, kind of nice great. to hear you talk yeah, about your great. art because, yeah, your music's incredible. And Wet Kiss, have you, you've been in Berlin with Wet Kiss for a couple of years or did you join Wet Kiss there? Wet Kiss used to be the solo project of mm. my, my girlfriend, Brenna. And we went on tour with Bodies some years ago. And we got along, we fell in love and then we made a record when we got back. She was like, I need a band. Mm-hmm. And so the whole Bodies band was just the Wet Kiss band. Yeah, right. And then it became Wet Kiss and, uh, and we've moved, some people have moved and changed. And, mm. But mostly it's the same people. And I then, so Brent and I have been living over in Berlin though for the last like year and a half or something. Yeah. We've kind of fallen into more of like an art crowd and like Berlin specifically has like the, the music there is heavily electronic. But we ended up kind of playing a lot of these like DJ events, like you know, where like people are just DJing, and then we're the only live band in between DJs. Which let me tell you, it was like such a fabulous spot. <laughs> if anyone ever asks you to play in between DJs, take it because like it's so incredible to go from a DJ to like, oh, there's a person up there. I mean, yes, there's a DJ DJing behind the thing, but uh, I don't find that too remarkable to watch. But then you get to be this kind of point of distinction between DJs. Yeah, I've never actually been to Berlin, but it feels like I should have like moved there at twenty and bought a synthesizer. Like that, I, that's the that was one of the the uh, parallel universes that exists. Yeah, There's yeah, a yeah. Somewhere totally, in absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do at PBS, by the way? So I've worked there for just over seven years, yeah, um, and I've done a couple of roles there. But currently, I'm the marketing and events manager. Mm-hmm. So I kind of oversee all the digital comms the events, public and internal, and the membership. Mm-mm. So all the big membership drives and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've got like a team of three that I work with on all of that. Whoa. And until April this year, I did a show called Homebrew yeah. as a volunteer, yeah, yeah, yeah. separate to my job, um, for three years. Yeah, yeah. I had the last live guest PBS had before we shut down for COVID. So that on my first show, like that's when I started. No. So it was a really bizarro world. But you've done radio shows before, like you said. I have, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I did a couple. I did my first one when I was 13. Really? <laughs> I've been obsessed with community radio since I was, yeah, early teens. Oh, I love that. Mm, it's a big part of my life. So it's really like feel genuine privilege to work at Peeps. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that I value so highly to be able to get paid to spend my time there. It's a lot of work. You're the perfect person to be there too. That's so cool. We're, we're lifers. Like we joke yeah, about yeah, it. The people yeah. you look around and you're like, you've been <laughs> here for 15 years. You're a lifer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of attracts those types of pe- Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Yeah, radio is a really weird thing. Mm. It's such a, like again, it's such an impermanent, you know, I love that, that Hugely it's just in the moment. Yeah. Wild adrenaline rush being live to air, yes. speaking on a microphone. I love it. Irreplaceable adrenaline. Yeah, and, I, and it's that thing again, like you can be as organized as you want, but it's yeah. you're never sure what's going to happen. No. <laughs> and I loved having like people coming in and playing live music. and mm, That's cool. There was one time Hot Tub's Time Machine were coming in and Marcus, the singer, couldn't make it. So Daniel, who does the backing tracks and the other instruments, came in and then we just called Marcus and put the phone oh up God, to amazing. a microphone. And I was like, this is how you make community radio. Yes. <laughs> Adapt and be silly. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, my how highlight. How did that sound? It kind of suited the band. I don't know if you've heard them, but it's kind of a bit of talking, singing. Yeah. So it, yeah. the kind of phone audio worked for it. I probably wouldn't try it with anyone else. It just that works for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone always has talked for so long about it being under threat, but it's just so resilient. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Melbourne. listeners, are, it's wild. Mm. 
Uh, it's funny like to never be able to like really uh, what I also love about the mystery of radio is you never actually know exactly how many people are listening really yeah and that's really cool you're like I could be talking to three people right now or I could be talking to 3,000 I have absolutely yeah I mean you get a rough idea but yeah yeah well not really it's really hard I mean I could talk this is I could talk about this forever because this is half my job I love radio because you're having a one-on-one. Like I, whenever I was on mic, I'd be thinking about having that conversation with one person. Yeah. Like I'd try and speak to someone that I thought I was sharing my passion for something with on a one-to-one basis. Oh, that's a nice way to think of it. But then remembering that there might be twenty thousand people yeah. that are that person. Yeah. It's just such a bizarre feeling, and I yeah. love it. Whoa. It's such a cool thing. Yeah. And yeah, we're so spoiled for choice in Melbourne. Like, I, I find it so hard to decide what shows to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That same kind of locality is very much housing, like, my press. Do you find that's the same with the label? Yeah. And we don't work with that many people interstate or we haven't yeah. ever worked with anyone internationally. Mm-hmm. We don't get approached that often to release bands, but we do semi regularly. Mm-hmm. And if I haven't seen that person, like, up the front supporting mm-hmm. our bands, mm-hmm. then it's just, not going to be a part of the label. Like yep. it's so localized that you have yep. to kind of almost be in the room. Yeah. It sounds like it has always been that. Yeah. That's where just because that's kind of where we're not making money out of it. We're building community. Yeah. We didn't kind of know that at the start. But when it started to happen, we're like, okay, this is actually what the core of this is. Yeah. It's got to feel good for you. I'm not sure if it would have happened if I was living somewhere else. And if it did, it would look really different, probably. Yeah. And it's got heaps to do with radio and the venues and the people. Definitely. In mm. that case, it would. Like it's all totally. of those. It's things. all of it. Yeah. yeah. So your publishing side of things, is that, do you work with very many people outside Melbourne? I have only recently because I was in Berlin. And, of course. And, yeah, that and, but we, do, we actually do do like open calls for books. Mm. It's very different. Yeah. To, mostly we work with people we know, I would say. But then we leave some like kind of part of our like yearly plan to a total open submission, so from anywhere. That's so great. It's cool to be able to do, but we get hundreds and we can take two or something. Mm. You know, like this kind of awful ratio for whoever's submitting. But (laughs) (laughs) I make an effort to maybe tell them where else to send it. But that's the thing. uh, People should also just like start printing their own books and give it to their friends. You know, you can all be publishers and labels, I think. Uh, Absolutely. I think also, you know, sharing resources is really important to us because we can't take on really any more artists than we work with, but we want to see other people doing what we're doing. They can probably do it better and they can teach us lessons. Yeah. So we're at a point where we're trying to, wherever we have the capacity and time to, to share resources. Like I'm kind of making one and two sheet things on like, here's how you submit to radio. Here's how you do this and that. Kind of trying to, I don't know, not have everyone start at the same level down the bottom, but kind of help people start a couple of mistakes up, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So that we're not all making the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah, yeah. But even that is another job. Even that kind of resource sharing becomes another admin task. So it's limited. Yeah. But yeah, I think that open submission process is awesome. It's hard to narrow it down. It's a mm. lot of reading. To um, get so, to, that's what I was going to say. It's not just, I could probably put the album on in the background and do something yes. else. You'd have to be. Yeah. It took me a really long time. <laughs> but it was kind of worth it. I mean, of course it was worth it. I found what exactly what I wanted to release. I think it's not just about that. It also just makes what you do accessible as mm-hmm. well. Like if people feel like, oh, they invited me in. Mm-hmm. I think that that's also really special. Yeah. Reflects very well on you yes. as an organization. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say that in a less dorky so, way. Yeah. But you know, it's so, kind of so really formal. nice. Like I think it's not a PR exercise. Right, yeah. But it, it should be. That's the kind of thing people should do. Because yeah, that yeah. makes you seem approachable, accessible. Yeah. And like not kind of up yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the end of the day, it's just like, you or my opinion mm-hmm. and taste and whether we want to work with it or not, right? At least that's what it is for me. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, and like, it's also, you know, whether it fits into the calendar, like it yeah, can yeah, be yeah, as totally. boring as Ooh. that. It's like, oh, this isn't going to work in the time frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, that's true. <laughs> Crossings was produced by me, Jess Sinoni. It was co-produced and audio engineered by Sam Panifex. Our theme music is by Georgia Ferry, a.k.a. Baby G. The artwork for Crossings was designed by Tanika Page. Thank you to Henry Farnan, EWF's Marketing and Publicity Coordinator, 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this inaugural season of Crossings. Thank you to Daniel and Kurt for their conversation. To find out more about Daniel and Kurt and all the artists involved in Crossings, head to emergingwritersfestival.org.au where you can also sign up to our newsletter to keep up with all things EWF. If you enjoyed this episode and previous Crossings conversations, please leave us a rating or review.